Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. When I was young and immature, I could spend the whole day telling you stories about dumb things that I did. One of them, uh, when I was about 15 or 16, um, actually some friends of ours got married. And uh, we were part of a, a youth group in our church. And like we were the young guys, you know, the 13, 14, 15-year-old kids. And like there were some college-age people and they, they, we had, they, were, they were getting married. And so a bunch of us guys, we thought it would be really, really cool to like find the getaway car and to like fill it with newspapers, you know, and then, and then put like rocks in the hubcaps and so, you know, we filled up with newspaper and we were putting rocks in the hubcaps. They had one of those, um, it, was, it was a VW station wagon. They made those back in the day. And, um, and, and there, was, there was like little slots around the edges of, of the wheel there. And, we, you know, I was thinking that was the hubcap. So I'm putting rocks in the hubcap, you know. What it was was actually slots, um, circles in the rim for the tires. And so I'm putting these rocks in and they're just kind of falling on the underneath. I didn't know that, but I had one particular rock and it was, it was a little bit big for the hole. So I kind of was pushing it in, jamming it in, kicking it in. I finally got it wedged in there really, really good. What I was doing was jamming it right up against the disc brakes. Yeah. $350 later, I learned a lesson about stupidity. <laughs> okay. Um, I, anybody else here ever do something stupid when you were young and immature? Yeah, okay. Anybody here, like in the last year, done something, even though you're grown up, you're still immature? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, they say uh, maturity comes with age, but age doesn't necessarily make you mature. Uh, we're going to be talking, we're in this series called Elevate, and it's all about finding and fulfilling your higher calling, God's call on your life. And we've been looking at the different aspects of it. We've been talking about um, the way that you find and fulfill your life's calling is, is really to, the, to ask yourself five questions. Find the answer to these five questions, and it'll help you discover God's calling for your life. The first is, what's going to be the center of my life? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. That when you define your center, when you put God at the center of your life, when, when your life is centered around him, everything else flows from that. It starts from the inside out. And so you got to define and, and clarify your center. And then from there, the question is, then what's going to be the community of my life? We looked at that one last week. Because um, I do life with other people, and they help shape and form my character. And as we do life together as believers, we grow together and develop. And then today, we're going to talk about character. What will be the character of my life? Next week will be what is going to be the, uh, the uh, contribution of my life. God has given me certain gifts and abilities and resources. How am I going to use those for his purposes in this world? And then the last one is, what's going to be the communication of my life? What do I want my life to say? Or more importantly, what does God want to say through my life to the world around me? So today we're going to be talking about this idea of character. And, and, and the thing about it is, um, by the way, finding your life calling... That's going to be consistent all the way through your life. It might find different expressions depending on what season you are in at li- in life. Um, if you're a high schooler, it's going to look maybe a little bit different than college student, and a college student a little bit different than a mid uh, 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 a young adult, which is going to be different from when you're in midlife and when you retire. It's going to look a little bit different, but it will always be consistent with how God created you. And what he has called you to do. That's going to look the same all the way through. And this whole idea 
uh, of discovering uh, your life calling is about finding your purpose and meaning. Because when you discover that, when you find it and you begin fulfilling that, it's the thing that's going to bring meaning and purpose to your life. And that's why we're spending so much time talking about it. That's what this whole series is all about. And today we're going to be talking about this idea of character. Because God is far more important in who you are than what you accomplish with your life. Who you are becoming is a lot more important than what you're accomplishing. In fact, we see it all the time. That, that smart people do dumb things because of flaws in their character. Extremely powerful people in a moment of weakness of character can lose everything. We've seen that happen in presidents. We've seen it in business executives. We've seen it in military leaders. We have seen it in pastors and ministers. Character counts. And that's why we're talking about this and, and that's why all throughout the New Testament, um, you find things like Peter, who writes, grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You find Paul, uh, the writer of the Hebrews saying, um, let's leave the elementary truths about Christ and let us go on to maturity. That, that Paul says to the Galatians church, that I pray that you would be filled with the fullness of Christ. And he even talks about his own life. He says, not that I've attained it, but this one thing I do, leaving what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. Then he said, it's, it's, it's how you are growing and developing in your character and your maturity. That's what God is most interested in. And no matter what you might accomplish with life, you could lose it all by a weakness of character. So character is so important. So that's what we're going to look at, this idea of the person that you're becoming. And, and we talk about it around here. It's actually our, our mission statement is we exist as a church to help unchurched people become wholehearted followers. That word become, that's the one we're going to be talking about today. The person that you, is, you are becoming, the person I am becoming. And uh, we're going to look at it in one of Paul's letters to this church in Philippi. If you want to turn there, it's Philippians chapter 1. And I'm going to start in verse 4. We're going to look at two different sections, but they're very much related. You'll see this in a minute. Philippians 1, 4 says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And then if you want to turn over a page or scroll down or whatever you're using there, um, Philippians 2, verse 12. He says, so my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. What he's saying there is that developing your character is a process. And, and the process that we talk about around here is discipleship. That, that's, that's really what this is all about. And what Paul says in his letter to the Philippian church is that, that there, it is a collaborative effort. That God is at work, but so are you. And, and, and as God does his work, you have a part to play in all of this. And, and so today we're going to look at your part in, in 
grow, growing and developing your character. My part in, in, in forming and shaping my character. And, and I want to say up front is, I want you to understand, this is all a work of God's grace. Okay? This is what God has already done. But there's a part that we play. And I'm going to tend, take more time talking about our part in it. But I want you to understand, this is not about earning God's favor. Okay? This is about living out and developing the things that God wants to develop in you and your part in that. And it's going to start with this. For God to shape your character, what needs to happen, first of all, is you need to decide to, to surrender to his authority. You need to decide to give him the authority of your life. It always starts with a decision. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that you are created uniquely different than all of the rest of creation. That you as a human being have been given the power to choose. That God gave that to you. That's part of being formed and created in his image. And, and not, not, no other part of his creation has this. You have been given the opportunity to choose. And you have to decide to make him the authority of your life. All the way back when Jesus first called his first 12 disciples. He called them to follow. But they had to decide. Mark chapter 1. Verse 16, it says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. And it goes on, it says, at once they left their nets and followed him. They made a decision. It says, if you go read on, it says, he went a little bit farther down the lake and he found James and his brother John. And he said to them the same thing, come follow me. And they left their nets and followed him. If you read Matthew's account of his conversion in, in his gospel, he talks about um, he was just sitting in his toll booth collecting his taxes. And um, in those days, it was the way a tax collector earned their money is they could charge whatever they wanted, pretty much. As long as Rome got their cut, anything you got above and beyond that, that was yours to keep. And so they weren't very well. I mean, you think you don't like the IRS? I mean, these guys were really hated in their... Jesus comes to him and says to him, hey, follow me. And he leaves all of that very lucrative business and follows Jesus. See, there's a decision. There, there's something intentional about God shaping and forming your character. And if you think about it, in many ways, your character has been shaped by the decisions and choices that you have made up till now. I mean, think about that. You really are the sum and total of every decision that you have made, good or bad. And the choices that you're making right now with your life, they are shaping your character. And see, we don't think about that in the moment. We don't, we don't, we're always thinking about something else when it comes to those kinds of decisions. And so we just make decisions not realizing they're shaping our character. In fact, very often, we don't even understand the decisions that we make. We look back and we go, why did I do that? Robert Fulgham, he's one of my favorite authors. He, has, he hasn't written a book in a long time, but one of my favorites of his is called um, It Was on Fire When I Lay Down on It. That's a weird title for a book, uh, but it comes from this story. He writes, a tabloid newspaper carried the story, stating simply that a small town emergency squad was summoned to a house where smoke was pouring from the upstairs window. The crew broke in, found the man laying in a smoldering bed. After the man was rescued and the mattress was doused, the obvious question was asked, how did this happen? I don't know, he said. It was on fire when I lay down on it. It was on fire when I lay down on it. A lot of us could settle for that on our tombstones. 
A life story in one sentence. Out of the frying pan and into the hot water. I was looking for trouble and I got into it as soon as I found it. The devil made me do it the first time. After that, I did it on my own. Or, to point out this truth in a less intrusive level, I report a conversation with a colleague who was complaining about that he had the same stuff in his lunch sack every single day. So who makes your lunch, I asked. I do, says he. (laughs) Psychiatrists make a lot of money off this dilemma. (laughs) And theologians make a lot of noise. But not only is it unresolved, it is unresolvable. One lives with the dilemma, and in that living, takes comfort in the company of those who habitually lie down on burning beds of one kind or another. God, it is written, warned his first children, Adam and Eve. He made it clear, don't eat that piece of fruit, it'll lead to trouble, and you know the rest of the story. We all make decisions every day. We don't think about it. But the decisions and choices that we are making, big and small, good and bad, are shaping our character. Every time you compromise your principles or your standards, you're shaping your character. Every time you you shade the truth just a bit to your advantage, that's shaping your character. Conversely, when you choose to do the right thing, even though it's uncomfortable and unpopular... That, too, is shaping your character. When you choose to forgive, no matter how deeply you have been hurt, that, too, is shaping your character. When you choose to love an enemy, no matter what they do to you, that shapes your character. Dallas Willard writes about it this way. He says, the aim is not to try to love that person, but to become the kind of person who would love them. It's shaping your character. When you choose to follow Jesus, it's about letting him take the lead. It's like turning over the keys to the car, letting him drive, and you're in the passenger seat. You start following his ways and his directions. That's what it means to follow. That's what discipleship is really all about. And that's what shapes your character. Paul wrote about it to the Philippian church this way. He said, my dear friends, you have, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. Now, if you're using your paper outline old school, I want you to circle this word obeyed and then circle this word continue and put an arrow between them because mostly that's what it's about following Jesus. It's continuing to obey. It's just continuing to do things his way. It is about obedience and it is about surrender. And when you make that one big decision, that becomes the guiding principle for all the other little decisions you make with your life. You got you to choose to make him the authority of your life. And as you do that, then the next thing is you'll need to learn a whole new way of thinking. You're going to need to learn a new way of thinking. Paul wrote to the Roman church this way. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, again, here we see there's God's part and there's our part. Because he says, he doesn't say transform yourself. He says, be transformed. That is a passive imperative. In other words, there are things, some things that you need to do, but you cannot do this on your own. There is a collaborative effort between you and God. Be 
transformed. How? By the renewing of your minds. Now, I want you to look, notice these two other words. The word conform and transform. They are two, they sound the same in, in our English language. They both have the, the root word form in them. But in, in the New Testament Greek, which is the language our Bible was originally written in, our New Testament was originally written in, they, they come from two completely different words, different root words. The, the idea of conform means to be alike in pattern or in fashion. And it has to do with giving into external pressures. Kind of like uh, when you were a kid. Anybody here have a Play-Doh fun factory? You know? Anybody you know what I'm talking about? You put the Play-Doh in and you kind of push this pump down. And there are all kinds of different fittings you can put on the front. And it would squeeze it out and shape the Play-Doh to all kinds of different shapes. Or, or different molds. And you can put them and make different characters out of it. It's that idea. It's being squeezed and it's being pressed. And it's being shaped by outside forces. In following that fashion and that pattern of living. The word transform comes from, from a completely different root. And it comes from, the, actually it's where we get our English word metamorphosis. Which has to do with being transformed from the inside out. It's, it's the word that, that, that describes what happens when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. It is the same creature, but it changes completely. He says, listen, it's like he's saying, the message paraphrase puts it this way. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. But be renewed and transformed from the inside by the renewing of your mind. See, it's learning to think a different way. It's, to use a buzzword of the 80s and 90s, it is a paradigm shift, okay? It's a whole different way of thinking in such a way that it changes the way that I live my life. There is a level of understanding that begins to change the way that I look at things. Uh, most of you know I'm a sailor. I, I love sailing. I don't own my own boat. I crew on somebody else's. It's a lot cheaper that way. Um, but I do have access to the boat. And uh, about four or five years ago, uh, took some friends out, never, had never been sailing. I said, oh, you're gonna, you've got to go sailing. I'll take you sailing. You'll love it. So I got access to the boat. Uh, I my friend, um, who knew a little bit about sailing myself, we took these other two people out, a young couple, took them out sailing. We spent about two or three hours just sailing all over the area. And, just, and, and, and it was a beautiful day. The wind was steady and just nice. It wasn't overpowered. It was just a beautiful day. It was sunny. It was warm. And we had a great sailing. Now, if you've never been sailing, here's the thing. A sailboat doesn't sail like on a level plane. It's always on a heel. Okay? It's always got about a 30 to 40 degree tilt to it. And it's designed that way. It's because the wind hits the sails in such a way and, and, the, and it just, it balances that way. But I noticed all through the sail, it was a beautiful afternoon, but all through the sail, the wife looked particularly nervous. Just like she, the, the whole healing over thing just really bothered her. She was just so nervous. And we, we got to the end and we came into the dock and we tied up and we cleaned the boat. So I said, what? So how did you, what did you think? She goes, I was scared to death. I thought at any moment that boat was going to tip over. I said, oh, I forgot to tell you, there's like a half ton of lead in the keel underneath. That boat's not going to tip over. I said, that would have been good information to have at the beginning of the trip, she said. <laughs> yeah, see, that, that understanding would have changed that whole trip for her. Your level of understanding is going to change how you look at life. To the Ephesian church, Paul put it this way. 
Ephesians 4, verses 22 and 23, I think there's a misprint on your outline if you're using the paper one, but it says this, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and be made new in the attitude of your mind. So how do you do that? Well, the best perspective, the best resource that we've got for getting God's perspective on life is scripture. It's his word. It's reading his word. It's studying his word. It's it's learning his ways by understanding how he works through his word. That's how we learn it. Unfortunately, unfortunately, so often we have made Bible reading and Bible study a chore, like taking out the garbage and making the bed. It's something I ought to do, you know, And, and we don't understand the purpose behind it. Sometimes people say, well, how, how, how many minutes should I spend reading the Bible every day? Or, or how many chapters do I need to read? And, and it's, like, it's like, you know, it's like God gave a reading assignment and you're not going to get into heaven unless you complete the assignment. <laughs> that is not the point. The point is learning to see things from God's perspective. That's what scripture does for us. It changes the way that we think. And if you're new to all of this and, and you don't even know where to start, I would, I would say start with one of the Gospels. And, and here's a hint. The Gospel of Mark is the shortest. So that'll give you a sense of accomplishment, okay? And, and it's just, a, it moves pretty quickly and it's just a, oh, it's an overview of the life and ministry of Jesus. And, and if you want one that, that's going to maybe give you a different perspective on it, I recommend John's Gospel. Because only in John's Gospel do you get the one-on-one conversations that he had with people. But it's going to change the way that you think. Because as you read God's word, you're going to better understand God's ways. And it's going to change your way of thinking. And what's going to happen is then next, you'll begin to develop godly convictions. Your your change of thinking is going to become beliefs. And beliefs will eventually become convictions. The non-negotiables of your life. Philippians 2, 15, he says, you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. That's, that's, that's conviction. And it's not about acquiring information so much as it is about transformation. That's the goal in all this is the reforming and the reshaping of your character. It's recalibrating that inner GPS that, that guides your life. And we've all got that. Uh, I think it was about 16, 17 years ago when, when public um, GPS navigation systems first came out. And when they first came out, they had all kinds of bugs in them. I remember reading a story of someone who was following their GPS, ended up in the middle of a runway of an airport. You know, not a good thing. Yeah. Um, other people reported, you know, being on a, in the navigation system, telling them, continue straight for three miles, and they're at a dead end. It's like, how am I supposed to do that? It was actually right around that time that the, the 687-80 interchange, freeway interchange right down the road here, uh, happened. And it used to be a left-hand exit to get onto 680. Um, but in the middle of all of this, it changed, but they didn't make the change in the GPS. And we had some friends coming up to visit, and I told them how to get to the church. And, um, and they followed their GPS, and they ended up over in Concord, <laughs> across the bridge. So it had all kinds of bugs. Your inner GPS that you developed as you were growing up, it's like the beta system, okay? It, it, it's got a few bugs that still need to be worked out, and you need the upgraded version of a GPS. That's what you get through God's Word. It becomes things that become the non-negotiables of your life. 
And if your internal GPS is off, just like your navigation system in your car, you're going to end up in places you don't want to be. God reshapes that GPS through our understanding and developing those convictions. John Orper put it this way. Jesus doesn't come to rearrange the outside of our life the way we want. He comes to rearrange the inside of our life the way God wants. Godly convictions lead to wise living. Second Timothy, Paul wrote to a young pastor, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. That's conviction. From infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise. Because here's the thing. Behind everything that you do is a thought. You don't realize it, but everything you do has a thought behind it. Every choice that you make is based on a set of beliefs. Every decision that you make comes out of some core convictions. And if you're not clear about those core convictions, you will continue to end up in places you don't want to be. God has to reshape our character. And what you do is when you read God's word and you really begin to understand it, what you begin to do is you begin to understand God's heart for you. And you begin to understand that God is not against you. He is for you. And his commands and his principles and his instructions are really about the best way to live your life. He created you. He knows you. And and, and what he gives you, he knows what's best for you and he wants what's best for you. And so even when it's unpopular and even when it's uncomfortable and even when it's hard, when I follow his ways, life really does work out best. It's about developing those kinds of convictions. And when you do, then you begin to live it out. James 1.21 says, Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. But do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. He says, do what it says. Which brings us to the last one is, for God to shape your character, you're going to need to apply his truths in your life. Paul wrote, continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You work out what God is working in. Now, I want you to think about that a little bit. When you, when you exercise, when you work out, what you are doing is you are working with the muscles you already have. By working out, you are building muscle, you are strengthening, you are building endurance. You're, all of those things happen as you work out the things that you already have. God has already accepted you. God has already loved you by his grace. He is already at work in you. But as he works in you, you work out. Now notice, by the way, it is not work for your salvation. This isn't about earning a relationship with God. This isn't earning a way into heaven. It's simply working out what God has already done within you. It is living out of the convictions that you already have. Your character is really formed as you live it out. Otherwise, it's just philosophy. It's just hope so. Jesus put it this way. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Because it's not about intention and it's not about information. 
It's about transformation. God is working in you. You worked out. It's that collaborative effort. And, and let me tell you right up front, it will be a lifelong process. You will never be done in this life. God will constantly be shaping and forming you. And, and there will be sometimes that you feel frustrated about it or, or disappointed in yourself because of it. Um, even, even for pastors, okay? I'm still working it out. I've, I've, I've told a number of stories. One of the things that I really have a problem with is patience. I am not a very patient person. And I've told you enough stories about being in lines and getting frustrated with checkers and all that kind of stuff. So you kind of know my story, okay? And so it's one of those things that I've been trying to work out, okay? And, and so I've just I've actually kind of gotten in some long lines on purpose. And I've just said, okay, God, this, I'm taking a deep breath. This is a chance for you to work in me what I need to work out. And, and actually, I have been doing really, really good lately, except for this week. This week, I went down to a pastor's conference, left right after church last Sunday. It was a Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday conference. And uh, my wife went with me. Um, she got a chance to come along. So, so we went together. Um, the first night, Sunday, great speaker, great start to the whole conference. And the next morning, um, it was all going to happen at a church that was about 30 miles down the road. We stayed in uh, Wigwam, Arizona. But the conference was at Christ Church of the Valley, uh, which is in Peoria. Well, Christ Church of the Valley actually has five different campuses. It's a huge church, and they've, they've got five other campuses. And so uh, we got up, you know, it was supposed to start 8 o'clock, first thing Monday morning. So we got up, we typed into the navigation system, put in our iPhones, okay? Christ Church of the Valley, up popped the closest one. Okay, we got in, followed all the directions, we got to the place. And, and here's the thing, most of their campuses are exactly alike. They've, they've built the buildings, like we went to this one. In fact, like we, had a, we had a campus map with us to find our way around once we got there. And, I, and my wife, got, we got there and she says, this isn't right. Like there's nobody here. I said, well, we're just early. I said, look, this is the right place. Look at, see right here on the map. That, that's that building right there. And this one, right, that's that building right there. See, this is the right place. And we waited and we waited 10 minutes till, five minutes till, comes eight o'clock, nobody's there. So we type into the Christ Church of the Valley. Up pops the Peoria campus. We were in the Surprise campus. There's Surprise, Arizona. We were surprised. <laughs> Peoria is another 30 miles in the other direction. <laughs> so now we are late. I am frustrated. We get on this road. We're headed out in that direction. And wouldn't you know, it's a two-lane road. One lane coming this way. One lane going our way. And wouldn't you know, right in front of us, there is a truck with a trailer going 45 miles an hour in a 65 mile an hour zone. And I am late and I am frustrated and everything starts kicking in and I'm just getting so angry and there's no chance to pass. But we get to a spot in the road where it actually widens and now there's two lanes in our direction. At the first opportunity, I jump over into the other lane and I just go speeding right through a stop sign. Yeah, fortunately, nobody was coming the other direction. And fortunately, they can't catch me here in California. <laughs> and I won't tell you what my wife said to me. <laughs> but I had something along the lines of, see, I knew I was right. <laughs> and you just ran a stop sign. And then a few other things that I won't go into. The point is this. It's a lifelong, lifelong process. I am still learning to work out 
where God is working in me. I make progress. And sometimes it's three steps forward, two steps back. And, and that's the thing about this process. There will be times when you get frustrated with it. There will be times when you'll be disappointed in yourself. Because you keep doing the same things. There will be some times that you will feel like a complete failure. There will be some times that you will fail so much that you will think, how can God possibly put up with me? How can he possibly forgive me again? But here's the good news. Paul wrote, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you bow your heads with me? As we do every week, I want to give you just a time to reflect and respond. And where is God speaking to you? It might be that you made that big decision a long time ago, but if you were honest with yourself right now, all of the little decisions you are making are not consistent. They've been taking you in a direction you really shouldn't be going. It might be, it might be that you're at a point of frustration and feeling like there's just no hope for me. He who began a good work will carry it on to completion. It might be for you today to just realign that inner GPS, recalibrate, get back on the right track. And there is something about that deciding that makes all the difference. So if you're at that point or one of those points in which you just got to make a decision to get back in the right direction, you got to make a decision to just come clean before God. You got to make a decision to ask for his forgiveness once again, even though you've done it hundreds of times. He who began a good work will carry it on to completion. And there's something about making that decision and, and acknowledging it. So if God has been speaking to you about one of these things, and there's a decision that you have to make, and you don't have to tell me what that decision is, but just if you would just signify, because I will pray for you as we close. Just raise your hand, hold it up for a moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe you're here and you haven't made the first decision. The, the big decision that changes everything else. The decision to follow Jesus. The willingness to admit your faults, your failures, your mistakes, your sin. And receive his forgiveness. See, that's why Christ came. To bring you that forgiveness of your sin. To reshape and reform your life and give you a brand new one. And maybe you're here today and for you, it's the first decision to just say, God, I give up. I'm turning over the keys to my life. Would you take this mess that I have made? Would you give me your forgiveness? And would you renew and restore my life? And for you, it's a first-time decision. Same thing. Would you just raise your hand, hold it up for a moment. In fact, even look up and catch my eyes so I can see you and acknowledge you. Pray with you as you're close. So, Lord, here we are with all of our faults and our failures, our mistakes, our sin. 
Some of us, many of us, have already made that big decision, but it's the little decisions that are getting us off track. And today we're just reaffirming, we're going to follow you in obedience, even when it gets difficult. And would you give us the strength to do that? Some of us, it's a very first-time decision, just admitting, God, I can't do this on my own. I've got enough failure to prove it. I need your forgiveness. Would you, by your grace, take me just the way that I am? I'm putting my life in your hands. Lord, would you do your work in us? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.